are excited about what it has to offer and all the resources and tools that are involved in it, we realize this. It's just a tool. In fact, we know and understand that the volunteers ultimately are what makes the difference. And, and so when I say shared vision or, or culture of the people, that's what I'm talking about. A shared vision of God's people who truly believe and are committed to raising up the next generation of Christian disciples. That's what makes the difference. Now, Jason and his team have worked really hard to make this uh, a good experience for those who volunteer their time. If you were part of what we did in our soft launch this summer, you know this to be true. But for those who weren't, let me explain some of the things that uh, they've done. They've divided up the ministry needs. So technically we have about twice a need for about twice as many volunteers as we have in the past only because many more hands make for lighter work. They're dividing it up so everybody has a, a smaller part to share. During the week, if you're a new teacher, they give you a call ahead of time just to make sure you have everything that you need, answer any questions that you might have so that when you walk in here on Sunday morning, Everything you need for that class has been prepared and made ready for you. And then in addition to that, uh, they've set up a rotation system, which is another reason for the number of volunteers, so that no one person spends a great length of time away from the worship service on Sunday morning. Now, all these things have been done in, in hopes that it's a great experience for you, that you really feel that not only are you being a blessing to those that you're teaching, but it's a blessing to you to be a part of the ministry. And so if you've been here at Melanie Park Church for the last year or more, we want to encourage you to get involved. We believe that what we're doing at this season in the life of ministry at Melanie Park presents us with a very unique opportunity to strengthen and, and, and build our commitment to partnering with parents as a church family to raise up the next generation of Christian disciples. And that includes whether you're a parent uh, someone who's single, or one of our senior saints, we have been called, all of us, to go and make disciples. In fact, that is the very main purpose that we have as a church family. And this is just one of the ways that we hope to carry out that mission. And so, if that is you, if you've been here for greater than a year or more, then the question shouldn't be, should I get involved? The question should be, how do I get involved? What part can I play? How might I serve to carry out the mission that God has given each and every one of us? And we want you to know, we think this is a great thing. This is an exciting time in the life and ministry of our church. And so we want you to, to be a part of that with us. Now, if you're new to Melanie Park, okay, if this is maybe your first few times to, to visit, I have a different message for you. <laughs> Instead of investing time in the work of ministry here, uh, let me encourage you to invest time in building relationships. Get to know people within our church body. Make this a place where you feel comfortable and safe as this being your church family, a place where you build relationships that, that impact your life. And with that in mind, let me kind of talk about a couple of other things that are going to happen um, here soon just to kind of help in that process of what I've just shared. How many of you remember the parent survey that we did earlier this summer? Okay. It was a great turnout. We had over 40 families who participated in that, that survey. So it gave us a sense that we really have some good information because that represents uh, the majority of families here in our church. And so here's one of the things that we learned from that survey. Uh, 
in that survey, over 97% of the parents who took the survey said that they understand that the primary responsibility of making disciples with their children is, is their responsibility. That it starts in the home. Over 97%. I mean, that's great news because what that tells us is that you understand what is a very clear biblical mandate. You get that. And so we don't have to convince you that that's important. But here's what we also learned. That same group of parents also told us that, uh, in fact, over 50% of them said that it's difficult to actually carry that through because of the limitations of time and training or resources. In other words, they know it's their job, but they often, they're honest enough to say, I, I don't often have the time or really know what I'm supposed to do to carry that out consistently. And so I want to tell you a couple of things that we're going to do to, to help bridge that gap a little bit. In your bulletin is a family faith talk. Will you pull that out, please? It's a white piece of paper. It says family faith talk on the, on the top of it. What this is is something that we hope to provide to you on a consistent basis that provides some follow-up for what we will have walked through together on Sunday mornings as we look at the Scripture together. And we want this to be a tool that you might consider using to carry out that purpose of discipleship in your home. In October, we're going to take it a step further. And we're going to hold um, our first ever, as far as I know, Melanie Park Church Family Conference. And what we're going to do during that time is talk about what discipleship looks like during every season of life, from a young family to teenagers to adult children. And we're going to present this in such a way that it actually mirrors what we say we believe, and that is our entire church family is involved in family discipleship. That there's a part that every single one of us must play to, to carry out that mandate of, of making disciples. And so we're thrilled about what that's going to look like. And you're going to get more information as that comes. We're going to be doing it in October. Um, and so you'll hear a lot more about it between now and then. But these are just a couple of things that we want to try to do to help provide some training and resources to carry out that responsibility that you know you have. But you are honest enough to say, we need a little help to do it more consistently. And so that's a couple of things that we're going to do. Now, on the other issue the issue of time. We feel like we might be able to help there as well. Um, even though you have the resources, that doesn't necessarily mean you have the time to carry that out. And so here's what we want to do. If you look at a typical week for the average person and you were to ask them, what is the best window of opportunity for you to carry out fellowship and discipleship in your home? Uh, most people, I think, would look at that and say, well, the time that's the best window when we're not involved in work, that we're not involved in school, that we don't have athletic events, is typically Sunday evenings. That typically is the, the best window of opportunity for most families. And so we're going to do things a little different this fall. Instead of having our small groups and our and children's clubs on Sunday night, we're going to help you leverage that time in the hopes that you use that time for fellowship and discipleship in your home. And what we want that to look like is, is something that not just includes your family, although we hope you spend meaningful time there, but we hope that this is the opportunity that you might use to invite new families into your home, to invite some of the singles and the senior saints to share a meal with you and your family. You're going to have plenty of distractions 
And so let me just give you a warning and an encouragement. <laughs> when that opportunity opens up, there will be a flood of other opportunities to fill the space. And I want to ask you, especially as the adult, stand your guard. Protect that time. Make sure that you are using it for a meaningful building of relationships within your family and with others who call Melanie Park their church home. We realize that probably now more than ever, the distractions and the busyness of life have reached a, a maximum. And we feel like that that is a, a work of the enemy who wants to pull you away from what's most important. And so we want to help you gain some of that time back to use it for what is most important, to go and make disciples. So, please, protect that time and use it for that purpose. We'll be doing stuff during the year, perhaps during that time as well, um, and those things will be coming. But these are some of the things that we're going to be doing this coming year that we want you to know that we're excited about and we want you to join in with us as we move forward. So with that heart in mind, let me pray for us together. Father, as we come to you this morning, uh, our desire really is um, to steward the responsibility that you have given us to go and make disciples. We realize as parents that that responsibility, that mission field starts in our home with our sons and our daughters. And uh, although we realize that responsibility, we also honest, are honest in recognizing that uh, we don't often make the time or really even know sometimes what exactly we're supposed to do to carry out that responsibility. So as a church family, through every season of life, help us come together. As you've equipped us, you, you designed this body. You tell us that each member is in its place just as you desire to fulfill just what you've called us to do, to go and make disciples. So may we be faithful in that responsibility within our families, and within this church family, as we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. May we carry out that commitment to make disciples in our homes, in our friendships, and in the world. And this is our honest desire. And it's in the name of Christ, whose name we preach. Um, it's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right. Shifting gears. <laughs> Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been walking through Proverbs, and uh, they've been pretty heavy. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I told you last week especially that, that that was a hard, hard message to give through a difficult section of Scripture. And so I thought this morning it would be good for us to, to have a little fun. And what I mean by that is not to make light of what we're doing, but to really enjoy the beauty of this amazing passage of Proverbs chapter 8. When we begin our study of Proverbs, you'll remember that I told you that, that Jesus is wisdom personified. And so as we walk through the passages that we've looked at in Proverbs, I've tried to consistently make that connection that, that as the Father talks to His Son about what wisdom is, that we actually connect that and see what it looks like in the life of Christ, who is wisdom personified. The qualities of wisdom that the, the Father talks about he personifies them as a woman who calls out into the streets, as we'll see in our passage this morning. And I want you to know that that, that wisdom is lived out in real life through the person and work of Jesus Christ as we see how it impacts His daily decisions of life as an example for us to follow. The woman who personifies wisdom is a literary device. It's what the Father's doing to kind of tell a story 
uh, give an illustration. Because as parents, we know that that's what our kids remember, right? That's why we tell them stories. I'll often ask my kids after a sermon, tell me something that you remember from the, the sermon this morning. Nine times out of ten, it's a story or an illustration that I've told that they recall and can repeat back to me. And so this is why the father's speaking to his son this way. He wants him to remember this, so he embeds the truth within a story. But I also want you to know that, that when we look at the New Testament, there's something more significant going on. That instead of an illustration, God actually does one thing better. He gives us His Son. So that we can actually look at Him and see what wisdom is in real life. How it impacts daily decisions. And He wants us to learn by looking at the life of Christ. Jesus reveals what wisdom looks like. And Proverbs is an illustration. Jesus is real life. And that's really where we want to see it. Uh, our focus and attention is on, on the life of Christ. And so that's what we're going to do this morning when we make that connection together. So turn, if you will, to Proverbs chapter 8, verse 1. And follow along with me there. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and and fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver, and knowledge rather than the choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels, and all desirable things cannot compare with her. So wisdom is personified as a, as a woman who lifts up her voice in the streets. And think about that in comparison to what we walked through last week, the the sinful folly who kind of hides in the shadows. Wisdom lives in the light. She takes the initiative to go where the people gathered, right? You saw that. She goes to the intersections, to the city gates, to the open court. She doesn't want what she has to be hidden as a secret. Wisdom wants to be known, to be heard. And so she goes to where the people are. She takes the initiative to speak her truths. Verse 4 says, To you, O men, I call. In the original language, that word for men literally means sons of Adam. Okay, so if it means sons of Adam, who does that include? Raise your hand if you are a descendant of Adam, a son or a daughter of all mankind. That's the point. Wisdom is calling out to all mankind, the entire world, to make her truths known. Verse 5 says that she speaks to the fools and to the naive, which basically means that what she has to say is easy to understand. You don't have to have a degree. It's not complicated to grasp what she wants you to hear and understand. Her message makes sense to those who still have something to learn. It's only foolishness to those who've already got life figured out. Her words reveal what is true. And there is... No such thing as deceit in her lips. 
But I do want you to notice in verse 10 that there is an action required of the listener, the one who hears her voice. Look at what that says. Notice it says that basically I have a choice to make. You have to take her instruction. It says you have to receive what she is offering because it goes on to say you want what she has more than you want silver, more than you want gold. In fact, it says you want to desire her more than any other desire in your life. In a sense, you must forsake everything in order to find her. Believing that the path to wisdom is the only way that you will find meaning and purpose in life. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that the picture that his father creates for his son as he describes this story really does a good job of communicating the importance of, of seeking wisdom. But I think if we look at the life of Christ, we even see that in more vivid detail. In Christ, we see the true reality of God's love for the world. Because instead of saying, staying apart and, and disengaged from the world, He actually entered in. That we see in Christ, the Word became flesh and actually dwelt among us. Jesus Christ came to reveal the truth of God. And like wisdom, He went to where the people gathered. If you look at the Gospels, you're going to see that where there were people, you would find Jesus. It might have been in the synagogues. It might have been in the temple courts. And, and you'll recall that when he goes to the temple courts, it wasn't just any normal day. He went during the pilgrimage feast when people were coming in from all the surrounding cities and regions to offer their sacrifices. And when they went to the temple, that's where they found Jesus. He took the initiative to go to where the people were. He went into people's homes. He talked to people on the, the roads. He went and spoke in in front of kings and, and rulers. But whatever the setting was, His message was always the same. Scripture tells us, He came to preach the gospel to the poor, release to the captives, and give sight to the blind. In other words, Jesus brought a message of salvation to those who needed it most. There really wasn't much to offer those who already had a righteousness of their own. But those who were seeking, those who wanted to walk in fellowship with God, found what they were looking for in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor. It's the ones who are sick. And so if your life is full of a lot of other things, then there's a good chance that you may not have room for anything that He has to say. In fact, in order to make room, Jesus says, like wisdom, that you must desire Him over any other desire in your life. That you must want to know what He has to say more than anything else in your life. Remember what Jesus said. He said the one who chooses to live life on His terms will end up destroying the life He claims to love but the one who loses his life for my sake, he says, that's the one who truly lives. Like we see in Proverbs, we have a choice to make. And like in Proverbs, it's not complicated. 
It's a decision to surrender our life to Christ or go our own way. To trust in the Lord with all our heart or lean on our own understanding. That's the choice. It's a choice that we probably need to make just about every single day. You remember in the Old Testament when Joshua stood before the people and he said, choose today who you will serve. And then you remember what he told them? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You and your house, you've got to make that same decision. You've got to put him as the center of of your home, of your career, of your life. That's the only possible way that you will find meaning and purpose in this world in which we live. Now look at verse 12. Wisdom goes on and listen to what she says. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverted mouth I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom I am understanding. Power is mine. By me kings reign, and rulers decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, all who judge rightly. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness, my fruit is better than gold, even pure gold, and my yield better than choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the wisdom of the paths of justice, to endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasures. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His work of old. From everlasting I was established, from the beginning, from the earliest time of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth. While He had not yet made the earth and the fields, nor the first dust of the earth. Wisdom begins by giving an invitation. And then she explains the benefits to those who put their trust in her. Right off the bat in verse 12, she gives three qualities. Prudence, knowledge, and discretion. What she is communicating here is that wisdom is what helps us distinguish between right and wrong. It's what prevents us from being deceived. Wisdom is what gives us understanding of God's Word and how those truths apply to our daily lives. But it requires that you look to God's Word for the guidance that you need, for the answers that He provides, instead of trying to figure that out on your own. You see, pride and arrogance are the qualities that exist when you're in control. When you invest your life in the things that you believe, will make you happy and fulfilled. Now, you may give God a nod every now and then, but really, you're in control. You're just inviting Him along to join you in the path that you've already chosen. You're fulfilling that religious obligation that might ease your conscience. You may show up on a Sunday every now and then. Enjoy some good fellowship when you have time, maybe even some time in God's Word if, That happens to fit in. But those shouldn't be things that you just fit into your schedule if you have time. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, 
That's what you should be making time for, whether it fits into your schedule or not. In fact, the busier you are, the more likely you are to need the guidance of God in your daily decisions in life. It's just like the husband who might tell his wife, Honey, it looks like I've got an opening around four today. You think you can, can pencil that in? Oh, sure, okay, I'll, I'll make sure that works unless something else comes up. That's not a loving gesture, is it? <laughs> That's not helpful. In the same way, we don't want to approach God with that same attitude. God, if I have enough room in my schedule, I'll try to pencil you in. God says, I want your life to be centered around me so that what you do is ordered by me, is directed by me, is prayerfully considered as you come to me. You see, wisdom is what leads us to a life that surrenders our will in an effort to follow God's will. It's a life of faithful obedience that acknowledges that God is the one who is ultimately in control. That's the point in in verse 15 when it says that God's wisdom is what gives rulers and kings the knowledge and understanding of what is just and right and fair. They didn't come up with those ideas on their own. No matter how good they were, anything that brought about justice and fairness was originated in God. That's why it's so arrogant and ultimately foolish for any leader to guide any people apart from the truth of God's Word and His direction. Whether that leader is a parent or the president, Your love for those you lead is demonstrated in who you choose to follow. Who you choose to obey. Once again, we see this lived out very plainly in the life of Christ. He actually demonstrated His love by His obedience. In the Scripture, He tells us in in John's Gospel, He says this. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgments are are just. Why? Because I don't seek my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. You'll remember when He told His disciples, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. How did He know that? Because He says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and and abide in His love. And He goes on and explains why He's actually telling His disciples that. He says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Jesus is saying that His joy is built into the framework of God's design. That obedience is actually what brings about God's best for you. Jesus gives us a real life example of what that looks like. For God's truth to apply to our daily lives. How it leads us to learn what is good and right and true and and protects us from being deceived by the work of the enemy that surrounds us every single day. Think about it this way. If, as this passage tells us, God used His wisdom to establish order within the universe... What makes us think that we can bring order to our lives without that wisdom? Have you thought about that? In fact, why would we want to when that's what's being offered to us? 
God built goodness into his design. And when we walk in his ways, we abide in his love. It is the wisdom of God that ultimately brings meaning and purpose to life. So don't just give God a nod. Don't just pencil him in. Trust him enough to surrender all your desires and all your life to him. Let him order your steps so that you know and understand that he brings about the best for you when he does. Let's look at verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, and when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set the sea its boundary, so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now therefore, O sons, listen to me. For blessed are they who keep my ways, heed instructions, and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorsteps. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. For he who sins against me injures himself, and all those who hate me love death. I think in the beginning, this may be one of the more beautiful passages in Scripture as wisdom kind of gives a first-hand account of being there when God brought all creation into existence. In fact, she said that God built wisdom into the cosmos, that it's part of the DNA of His creation. It's what gives the sea its boundaries. It's how He laid the foundations of the earth. God's wisdom brought life into existence and allowed it to thrive, to flourish within that design. And everything wisdom witnessed in that moment is what brought delight, great delight and great rejoicing. And rejoicing that comes to a climax in verse 31 when it says that God created the sons of man. When He brought in humanity as the masterpiece of His creation. And then in verse 32, wisdom calls us to trust in our Creator enough to walk in His ways. And notice in verse 34 that this is a daily decision. It says, waiting daily at His gates. This is what is required to cultivate a heart that is unwilling to get ahead of God. A heart that is patiently able to wait on Him. Wisdom is what teaches us the the danger of going our own way. The destruction of seeking our own desires. It guides us to trust in God in our daily lives. Wisdom is what ultimately leads us to Christ. Because what wisdom witnessed in that moment of creation is actually carried through by the work of Christ. Scripture tells us that Jesus was present before creation began, which is important because what that tells us is that Jesus was not created by God. He was one with God. That's what John tells us. In the beginning was the Word, 
And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And nothing came into being apart from Him. It tells us that Jesus was life, and that His life was the light of men. And Paul tells the Colossians that, that all things have been created by Him and for Him. That Jesus is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And so from the moment of creation, God intended for the life of that humanity He created to be centered on the light that Christ provides. And so, even when we look in the New Testament, and Jesus says that, that He is the way and the truth and the life, what we need to understand is that didn't happen just when He came to dwell with us. It always has been the case. He always has been the way. He always has been the truth. He always has been the light. And so in verse 35 when it says, whoever finds me finds life, we need to see that from the lens of looking at the life of Christ. We need to read it as it says, whoever finds Jesus finds life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have what? Life. And have it abundantly. John echoes those words at the end of his Gospel when he says, hey look, the reason I wrote all the things that I did is so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you might believe and have life in His name. So in verse 36 of our passage, if it's those who sin against Jesus who injure themselves. It's those who hate Jesus who love death. And those are some strong words. But what it's trying to communicate to us is that it's the selfish, selfishness of sin that leads us away from Christ. It robs our joy. It steals our hope. It's why marriages fail. It's why hearts grow sick with despair. But always remember, the power of all creation belongs to Jesus Christ. And that includes His ability to recreate you. Because what sin has destroyed, Christ has redeemed. He came not only to forgive sins, as if that's not enough already, but He wants to give you new life. That's why the Scripture tells us that if anyone is in Christ, He's what? A new creation. That the old is gone as the new has come. How did that happen? It's a work of Jesus Christ who brought all things into existence to begin with. Who built goodness into His design to begin with. And so when we put our trust in Him, that's what's in store. A new life in Christ where the power of sin is destroyed and the power of resurrection above that sin to live a life glorifying to God is made possible. It's the light of Christ that brings meaning and purpose to your life. So this passage tells us, blessed are those who keep His ways. Blessed are those who follow Christ. Trust in Him with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. 
and He, Jesus Christ, will make your paths straight. I want you to see, as you look at this passage, and the beauty of what wisdom has to offer, that you see that fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that all those things that wisdom has to offer is made possible when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you believe in Him enough to follow Him in all the decisions of your day, to walk in fellowship with other believers, to be committed to what we talked about in the beginning, to go and make disciples. That's what our life is all about. That's the meaning and purpose that we've been given. And so I hope that as you look at this passage, and I encourage you to take that family faith talk out this week. Jason did a tremendous job of preparing some really worthwhile time for you and your family, your friends, those that you spend time with, to take what we talked about this morning and to put legs on it. (laughs) See what it looks like when it's lived out in your life. When you commit yourselves to making God, through faith in Jesus Christ, your chief desire. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the beauty of Proverbs chapter 8. And even more, thank you for the wonder and miraculous evidence of how that is lived out through the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's just amazing to think. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. That everything that exists was brought into being by him and for him and through him. This morning, may we be reminded as we come to him that those who find Christ find life that he was and is and always will be the light of life in the heart of men. So, Father, may we trust you enough to follow you, to order our lives around you, so that we don't fit you into our schedule, but we actually allow our schedule to be directed by you, our relationships to be directed by you, our commitment to one another to be directed by, by you. Father, protect us from the arrogance of going our own way of relying on wisdom and our own understanding. Help us to trust in you with all our heart, to not lean on our own understanding, to in all our ways acknowledge you, trusting that you are the one who makes our path straight. You're the only one that can bring meaning and purpose to our life. We love you, Jesus. And we are so grateful how, how you've demonstrated your love for us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.